Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 54. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, we'll go exploring at Industry City, which is located along the western waterfront in the neighborhood of Sunset Park, Brooklyn. I recently had the opportunity to speak with Crystal Rivera, the Chief of Staff and Director of Community Engagement at Industry City. You know, I grew up with parents that worked in public service, Mm -hmm. and they were always like, support your state schools, be like what you're about, be from where you're from. As well as Miguel Pacheco, who's the Director of Web Design and Tech at the tremendously important Opportunities for a Better Tomorrow. I grew up here in Sunset Park. This is my backyard. This Mm -hmm. is where I lived all of my teenage years and went to high school here, elementary school here, junior high school here. OBT helps teenagers and young adults by giving them training, helping them find jobs and or college opportunities, and instill discipline, professionalism, and confidence. They're located in Bushwick and also inside Industry City. I also spoke with Brooklynite Daryl Hawes, a trained architect who has used Industry City's Innovation Lab to gain new skills. Innovation Lab, it sparked my interest just because of uh, the type of technology that this place is fostering. I'm a maker. Uh, My formal education is in architecture, but a few years ago, I started to get into digital fabrication. Daryl is a maker that's currently making eyeglasses for Moto at Industry City and making connections with other creatives at the Innovation Lab. Before I go on, if this is the first time you're listening to Breaking Walls and would like to subscribe, please do so at iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls or by following us on SoundCloud at The Wallbreakers. We're on all social media outlets at The Wallbreakers and are on the web at thewallbreakers.com. The Wallbreakers Citywide Unity t-shirt line is still humming along. To check out those t-shirts, please go to jamesthewallbreaker.com shop. I use my personal website because of the Squarespace e-commerce platform. It's very simple. These typographic t-shirts, by the way, are 50-50 cotton polyester blend. They fit well and are the perfect kind of tea for the upcoming springtime that may get here at some point if the snow ever melts. And thanks again to all the people who purchased and snapped a photo of themselves wearing one. I appreciate that very much. If you are curious, this month's overarching topic on the wall breakers is growth, hence this episode. That comes from the beginning of spring, being in April. And if you follow the yearly energy timeline, we begin in January with new beginnings, Learn how to be vulnerable in February, which leads us to serendipity in March and causes new growth in April. ever driven on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway, which in Sunset Park runs along 3rd Avenue, you've passed by this series of buildings now known as Industry City. Originally developed as part of the massive Bush Terminal by Irving T. Bush in 1895, the complex served as a major manufacturing hub and center for local employment during the first half of the 20th century. It was essentially its own mini-city with an internal police force, fire department, rail network, and power plant. I think it's important to note that at one time in New York, it was very common for people to work and live in their own neighborhood. This created a large sense of community pride, 
But after World War II, as companies that manufactured products within New York City began to either leave the boroughs or go out of business altogether, at the same time, neighborhood demographics within New York changed and middle-class people were given more incentives to move out to the suburbs and buy their own homes. The once thriving ports of New York and the neighborhoods within the integrated New York economic system began to fall into a state of dereliction. This wasn't just the case at the Bush Terminal in Sunset Park, but throughout many different neighborhoods in New York. The age of the automobile was making the port system and maritime-based economics within New York obsolete. Things within the city bottomed out between 1970 and 1980 when, through the course of a decade due to an interrelated combination of crime, changing economic infrastructure, failing mass transit, gasoline crises, and opportunities elsewhere, New York City's population fell by over 800,000 people and shrunk by almost 10.5%. However, one thing the history of New York City has shown is that you can't keep ideas, ambition, and local pride down for long. As rents fell throughout New York in the 1970s, creative people like George McCunis began purchasing buildings and creating opportunities for artists in Soho, pioneers, not necessarily unlike homesteaders in the 19th century, bought brownstones in Park Slope and Gowanus, while entrenched native New Yorkers, like in the Lower East Side, rallied together, refusing to leave their communities in need and renovating buildings themselves when the city didn't step in to help them. An economic upturn created by the people beginning in the 1980s and continuing throughout the 1990s and into the 2000s resuscitated the fortunes of New York City as a whole. Yet, in Sunset Park, the massive Bush Terminal Complex was still generally being underutilized. Some of that underutilization can be attributed to the fact that the site lies to the west of the Gowanus Expressway visually cut off from foot traffic and nearby residents. For decades, a lack of sunlight under the expressway on 3rd Avenue and an abandonment of the factories in the area rendered this section of Brooklyn unsafe. By the time the ownership group led by Belvedere Capital in Jamestown recapitalized the property now known as Industry City in August of 2013, only four years ago, not even, it had deteriorated to the point that substantial capital investment of over $200 million was needed simply to maintain the day-to-day -day systems and mechanicals of the site. Now, just four years later, the former Bush Terminal has been revitalized and Industry City's leaders are taking a page from the past in order to help build the future. Local businesses are flocking to the 16-building Industry City complex for its opportunity, its camaraderie, and the mark it's making on the local community. It's the kind of locally infused mixed-use space that would make the late architectural critic Jane Jacobs proud because since 2013, the number of people working at the site has more than tripled from 1900 in 2013 to 6,000 today. Within the 6 million square feet of industrial architecture on five acres of land, Industry City boasts tenants like the Brooklyn Nets, Design Within Reach, Lilac Chocolates, Baba Bar, Time Inc., and West Elm. The Innovation Lab, set up on 7,700 square feet, is designed to supply members of the local community in Brooklyn with the training and education needed to earn well-paying jobs and the potential to turn those jobs into accomplished careers. In doing so, the Innovation Lab also provides businesses in the area with a quality workforce that has the skills and the drive to outperform the competition.
This fact made Miguel Pacheco the perfect person to speak with about Sunset Park's recent history and how Industry City is tied to it. I grew up here in Sunset Park. This is my backyard. This Mm -hmm. is where I lived all of my teenage years and went to high school here, elementary school here, junior high school here. And maybe about a year ago, I left Sunset Park um, and went on to Jersey. I'm in Jersey now, but I grew up all around here. So I know this space. My mom used to work here. A lot of my family used to work here back when there was factories and manufacturing. And then there was some time off. Sure. You know, there was a time where a lot of these buildings were empty, but I'm very familiar with the neighborhood. Grew up all these areas. I mean, in terms of the, the bridge or the connection between what we're doing as a job training program in the Sunset Park community. I'm kind of like a very firm example of that, right? Um, I grew up here, I went to school here, stood here locally and came back to work in my neighborhood in Sunset Park. Appetit for Better Tomorrow has been in the Sunset Park community for more than 30 years. Miguel stands out for his personal success and his desire to give back to his community. Yet, He's far from the only person taking advantage of this burgeoning hub of Brooklyn innovators in Sunset Park. So I'm with Daryl Hawes right now. You're a local resident. Where yes. are you from originally? Uh, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Why the Innovation Lab? What drew you to it? Um, Innovation Lab, it, it was uh, sparked my interest just because of uh, the type of technology that this place is fostering. Um, I'm a maker. Um, my formal education is in architecture, but uh, a few years ago, I started to get into uh, digital fabrication. Okay. And Innovation Lab, from what I understand, they were close to where MakerBot had got its start. This is kind of like the Silicon Valley of Brooklyn, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, when I heard about Innovation Lab, I said, let me go over there and see what they have to offer and drop off my resume because I do have kind of a unique set of, of skills that are sure. kind of valuable in this new industrial age, so to speak. And when you're talking about digital fabrication, you mean anything that's from 3D printing to... 3D printing, CNC milling, um, anything that requires a computer to operate. So okay. when a computer talks to a machine, you can say that's kind of like digital digital fabrication. What drew you to that in the first place? Uh, well, like I said, I started out in architecture, so mm-hmm. for a long time I would design buildings on the computer and you know go to the site and see how the construction process is going. When 3D printing first started, I bought a MakerBot 3D printer and I really enjoyed the process of creating something on a computer and actually getting to see your final product right away, not having to wait six months or 12 months when a building goes up and you finally get to see what you've been working on. So kind of like that uh, like that process. I also, several years ago, I, wanted, I had a little idea to make an invention and I wanted to learn how to do CNC milling, which is a subtractive process. You take a solid uh, piece of material, it can be wood, it can be plastic, it can be metal, and you can, you can you, uh, program a computer to design and remove the material that you want so it leaves you with your final product. So I taught myself how to do that. And now that's the same thing I'm doing for, uh, for Moto now. Bringing these nonprofit groups, hungry makers, and innovating business owners together and getting them to buy into a newly vibrant site while still renovating and innovating the spaces inside of Industry City falls onto the shoulders of many people. Few more paramount than Crystal Rivera, Chief of Staff and Director of Community Engagement at Industry City. It takes a special kind of person to want to put together this kind of living puzzle. I asked Crystal who previously had worked for the Brooklyn Navy Yard and the Department of Parks and Recreation, as well as having a master's degree in urban development and public management, where her passion for both industrial and city planning comes from. So I grew up in uh, New Jersey, and I went to school at Rutgers, and I moved to the city like 10 to 12 
10, 11 years ago. I got my master's at Baruch and, you know, I think, I guess I share that because I think part of what's important is, you know, I grew up with parents that worked in public service Mm -hmm. and they were always like, support your state schools, be part of be like what you're about, be from where you're from. So when I was in New Jersey, I went to state school. When I came to the city, I went to the city university. And, you know, I think it's obviously a very different area. Growing up in New Jersey is a very different experience than growing up in New York. But I grew up in a community that is in North Jersey, and you know, my family's Puerto Rican, my parents worked in public service, and for us, community was always really important. And my parents were from Puerto Rico and they came to the city, they grew up in East Harlem. And for them, it was important to always come back to the city because their sense of community also identified with culture, right? So mm-hmm. coming back and being part of what they left to go to New Jersey, frankly, to find a better life for me and my siblings was always part of you know what we experienced growing up. And so for me, I think it translated from what my parents did and what their values were and what they instilled in us to kind of almost in a way that was unconscious because when I went to college, I think I started studying to do like marketing Mm -hmm. and I had internships doing different things that just didn't like sit with me the right way and I really liked thinking about communities, international relations, public affairs and those kinds of topics and once I started studying those, it kind of felt more compatible to me. And so when I graduated, I actually, the first job I ever had was working for the Civilian Complaint Review Board in the city, doing um, investigations into allegations of police misconduct. And it was just an incredibly eye-opening experience. I learned a lot about the city, that job, and at the Parks Department, I had to travel all five boroughs and go into, you know, all different kinds of people's homes to talk about experiences that might have been personal with police officers or going into the parks and talking in the recreation centers with families that were experiencing, you know, the great things that our city parks offer or like the free programmings that happen in recreation centers. And it kind of furthered my interest in, you know, there's all these things in the city that kind of connect us. And a lot of it has to do with almost how the city is laid out. And, you know, it puts into a lot of things, um, perspective, like, What happens when I worked at parks, like what happens in parks that are less, you know, busy than the parks that are like Central Park. And so a little bit around equity, a little bit about power and the dynamics that exist in the city. And so when I left parks, I was working in workforce development and I went to the Navy Yard, which is much more obviously like development and uh, economic development and community development. And when I was working there, I think the if you had asked me like 10 years ago if that's where I would have ended up, I wouldn't have expected that, but it all kind of made sense in the end because what I was really interested in is how do you create really interesting economic development opportunities and then how does that align with the needs of a community? Mm -hmm. And at the Navy Yard, we really looked at, you know, workforce development and business development as a way that that happens. And that experience, you know, coming to Industry City was really important because then that was in the public sector. That's obviously a city-owned asset. You come to Industry City, it's entirely private, but the mission and like the understanding of the importance of these things stays the same. And so the city is a great place because you go by the Brooklyn Navy Yard and you're surrounded by an entirely different kind of community than you are when you come to Sunset Park. And it's different dynamics and different people and different interests. Um, But at the same time, you're still aligning what is great economic development with, you know, community development and needs. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think all of that comes back to when I was younger and I was growing up and my family kind of, you know, instilled that into us. 
but then coming to the city and really understanding that there's a lot of the physical infrastructure impacts a lot of how these communities and people you know interact and lay out so mm -hmm. to me it all kind of wraps back to that If we're going to focus on Sunset Park as a community in need, we need to speak about what happened to Sunset Park when the Bush Terminal's powerful economic ecosystem went belly up. Interstate 278, known in this section of Brooklyn as the Gowanus Expressway, runs the length of Sunset Park along 3rd Avenue, cutting 2nd and 1st Avenue, upon which Industry City sits, visually off from the eastern section of Sunset Park. Construction on this stretch of I-278 began in 1939, under the watch of Parks Commissioner Robert Moses. The width of the highway necessitated the destruction of many homes along the eastern side of 3rd Avenue, something the blue-collar neighborhood residents fought against futility. Construction on the original section was completed on October 1, 1941. The irony is that, because the Gowanus Expressway served both passenger and truck traffic, its benefits were in direct opposite of the waterfront economic system the Bush Terminal was tied into. That didn't stop Moses, though, who continued to expand the interstate system around Sunset Park. At various intervals, homes and businesses along the eastern side of 3rd Avenue were destroyed. My grandfather, who was one of 11 brothers and sisters, was living in Sunset Park when, in 1947, his family was given 30 days to vacate the premises and a stipend for one month's rent or else suffer the consequences. The construction of the Gowanus Expressway essentially destroyed all main economic infrastructure and many actual places to live within Sunset Park. For a long time, this area of Brooklyn was run down and unsafe, but because this land had so little value for decades, the terminal buildings remained and the memory of what this area once was never faded. Here's Crystal again. The Robert Moses book for like a year Robert because Robert. it's like 5,000 pages that yeah. book. So I've been reading it and I think it totally touches into everything you're talking about, about mm -hmm. the, the power broker and like what's how this city was laid out. So I think that's interesting. And when you think of Industry City and, you know, the Gowanus Expressway and that barrier that exists that's physical but also mental for some mm -hmm. people, yeah. it, it is interesting how you think of some of the infrastructure and why it's there and what that potentially means for communities, right? Sure. But to answer your second question, I imagine that everybody in their life and whatever they're doing has days when they're like, what am I doing? And then other days where they're like, oh, right, this is, this is exactly what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it's mostly, I, I, I can speak for where I am now in, in my career. And I think so, in some ways I feel like I have the best job in the world because I get to meet uh, and when you walk around Industry City, you see all the business owners that are here. And I get to engage with all of these entrepreneurial business owners that are really taking a risk sometimes and like sharing their story of how they came to be. And some of them are like really, you know, Brooklyn kind of people where they're like, I was in a garage and I started a startup and now we're here, right? And then there's other people who really, you know, it's a family owned business. And I just love hearing this. Like we have at least two or three business owners here that can tell me a story of their grandparents that worked here. And mm -hmm. their grandparents worked here in one of our factories, mm -hmm. you know, and they used to come here as a kid. And it's just awesome. Like that kind of history to me is amazing. But then also meeting and getting to know these entrepreneurs is kind of one of the best things. And that's only half of my job. So like the other half I get to interact with people that live in this community and people who are interested in our project, you know, and people who have questions about our project or are looking for employment around, you know, what we're doing here. And 
for me, it's more rewarding than it isn't. I think it's exciting when I get to go and talk to people who have lived in this community their whole life and they're like, you know, I've only come to these buildings when I was younger and I was learning how to drive, right? Like there was, it was so empty over here that they were like learning how to drive their first car or like hanging out back here with all of their friends when they were in high school doing God knows what, right? right. So I think that stuff to me is, is interesting because it's like these buildings have been here so long mm -hmm. and they're so old. And for some people, it's just like the experiences they've had growing up here that this has been a fabric of their lives, right? And so when we opened our innovation lab last year, one of the gentlemen spoke, and I always, I always remember it. He was like, I remember riding my bike past here and being like, oh, those old buildings, like no one ever knows what's going on in there. And he's like, and now I work here, I come here on the weekends with my family, and it's a totally different thing that has, you know, changed a big part of his life, but mm -hmm. has been here all along. I find the motivation when times are like more difficult and like when you're you know, struggling with something or, you know, it's just a hard day at work. It's always refreshing to know, like, it's mostly the people, whether it's inside of our buildings or in the local community that help remind you that it's worth it, that right. you're doing something that's really, I mean, it's pretty amazing to work on this project. I mean, I think every day you're in the weeds of doing whatever you have to do. But when you take a step back and you stand on the balcony and you look, you know, you're kind of like, wow, this project is is huge in size and it's an important project. It's reviving buildings that have been vacant for a long time and mm -hmm. bringing employment and business to an area that once was at a peak, you know, employing 20,000 people. So right. just even that step back is kind of a reminder and refreshing when you're kind of going through the day to day, you know, and the goal is to be there again and to be able to have this be a hub of economic activity and employment. So you know, that's pretty motivational, right, on the day-to-day. Sure. -day. The story Crystal related about passing by these buildings and asking what's even going on in there is 100% true for us local residents. I can remember specifically passing by these former factories in the 1990s, either driving on the BQE or under the BQE on 3rd Avenue and asking my mom the same thing. Now, what's also true that Crystal mentioned is by reconnecting with our own local community, we can better figure out what our community needs. Here's Miguel again on how he got involved with opportunities for a better tomorrow. So I connected with them maybe about seven years ago, and, and I started as a part-time instructor. And ironically, I went sent to Bushwick and Bed-Stuy right, right before the movement of what everything's happening in Williamsburg now. So back then, it was very a little bit of, there was some crime and going on. So we had a bigger high school dropout right there. And, I was teaching something called a digital career path program where we were introducing a lot of these digital concepts, some HTML, some CSS, some web development at a very entry, entry level. And then from there, I moved on to just teaching um, young adults who were out of school and GEDs and, and getting them um, involved with computers and Microsoft Office certification. And then I developed a program during that time that I pitched to my CEO about, hey, you know, maybe we can engage our young adults more by providing them something that they can create and trigger their creativity. Sure. Which is web development. Right. So it's like, you know, if we can teach our young adults how to build a website, we can probably go somewhere with this. I designed a program that was run a couple of years as a pilot out of Bushwick and Bed-Stuy. We received very good feedback. A lot of the young adults who were in that program, which was sort of about 20 of these young adults, went on to college. So for the most part, a lot of them went on to college. Some of them went to non-tech jobs, so clerical, administrative, assistant jobs in the surrounding areas, um, the Brooklyn Navy Yard, the terminal. 
So what happened after we ran these pilot cycles, you know, the organization OBT said, you know what, we can pitch this to the city and say, scale this bigger. Sure. And um, we were lucky to receive funding from the Department of Youth and Community Development, DYCD, to scale this program bigger. And what was really great about that opportunity was our connection with the Sunset Park community and with Industry City Mm -hmm. and how we can now, we have a much more funded streamlined program that can be beneficial to this growing, you know, some of these incubators here at Industry City that can benefit from having some of these young adults into some of these training programs. So it was a perfect match. Mm -hmm. And I was really lucky to be in the middle of it because it also allowed me to come back to Sunset Park, which is my neighborhood, um, and come and and launch this program that I designed and and put it here in a place where, like you said earlier, it was empty, was maybe abandoned for some time, or was not going on. Um, And so we were really lucky to partner up with Industry City and and host that program here, which is what we're doing now. We've been here since April of last year. Over that, we've served about 20, 20, about 30 young adults. Um, For the most part, again, a lot of them do go to college and some of them do go to non-technical jobs, Mm -hmm. um, but they do go with the knowledge of, hey, you know, I can build a website. I know some of these digital concepts. I know... Uh, digital literacy and you know I can I can maybe at some point down the road use this in my current exactly. job exactly you can never know where it's going to lead until it leads somewhere exactly and uh, we were lucky enough in our first cycle here to put one of our young adults at an internship um, who's from Sunset Park by the way Matthew Soto is from Sunset Park he was born and raised here locally uh, he was a uh, young adult who who faced many barriers as he was uh, going to high school actually went to like two different high schools graduated from I think South Brooklyn and Red Hook went through our program um, received the training went and did an internship and and thankfully with the connection for with Industry City did an internship at Time Inc here at Industry City in his local neighborhood mm-hmm. and was able to do about four months of intensive programming and website design and when he was finished with that he didn't get offered a full-time job but he learned so much that he enhanced his resume and came back and pitched it to us and um, we hired him so i hired him full-time as an assistant instructor and he is one of the most exciting success stories right now right i mean he sunset park went to the training program Went to the internship at Time Inc. Now he's the assistant teacher and now he's teaching programming. It's beneficial to other young adults who are also maybe facing not only challenges in their finances to attend school, maybe even emotional barriers, but when they see who's in front in their classroom, who is someone who came through the program, who did an internship, they connect. They connect. They're like, you know, right. maybe I can, I, maybe I can, out. right? I can, maybe I can be this guy. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I can be the next Matthew Soto, and that is what what creates the dynamic in my program. <clears throat> What's more interesting is that when you're learning programming and web development, there's a lot of engagement. So we have a bigger attendance rate when it comes to our attendance every day. Mm-hmm. So most of our young adults do show up to their classroom. And, 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 and I say that because they technically don't have to be here, right? This is their choice. And every cycle- Another important do. thing to note is the general diversity of who's at Industry City each day. We've got native Brooklynites and residents of Sunset Park mixing with an infusion of transplanted New Yorkers. There are students, teachers, makers, and other workers at Industry City all the time. What's a typical day like? 
Let's ask Daryl. Uh, my typical day is I pretty much um, I pretty much run the uh, old machinery for the for the factory. So we have about 15 different machines. We manufacture eyewear. I brought a, a sample that's kind of in its second phase. Okay. So these are the uh, the fronts of the glasses. Mm -hmm. This comes as a solid piece of plastic, and I program the computer with the design and put it tell it. Uh, there's about seven different tools that have to cut this to get this final shape. And it's essentially a whittled sculpture in that way, then, basically. Yeah, you could say you could say like that. Yeah. So this is in the second stage. This had just gone through the tumblers, which is a process that takes the uh, the rough cut material and it smooths the edges. What's so, the benefit to doing it this way instead of the way that things were previously made? Well, you can do it a couple of ways. You can have injection molded glasses. You can have them uh, CNC milled. Uh, one of the things about CNC milling is you can change the design. So we have about 50 different designs. If you had 50 different designs trying to inject and mold them, mm -hmm. you'd have to have 50 different injection molds, which right. cost about $50,000 a piece. Right. It, it enables you to change your design pretty much on the fly. Like if I cut this and we decide we want to make this edge a little longer, I can just go on the computer and edit it. If mm -hmm. it was a mold, you'd have to send it back right. and take like exactly. another four months before you can make one little change. My, my goal is to own a factory as well. Okay. And the experience that I'm getting at Moto is great because I was uh, pretty much a part of it since they got all the machinery up and running and I was trained on all the machines. And now I'm actually training people, uh, other people that are coming in to use the same machines. Like I said, Industry City is definitely one of those um, big resources. And you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a maker, which is pretty much people that make things right. for, for fun. There's a huge maker community in Brooklyn and I've noticed that there are a lot more resources MakerBot got it started in Brooklyn. Uh, there are a lot of different companies that are innovating that are that are here in Brooklyn. So it's actually creating a, a better community. And Industry City is kind of a place where you can do your professional work here, and then you know you can also do uh, your hobbyist work here as well. Plus, you're around like-minded people. Exactly. And hang out. And that's one of the different connections. That's definitely one of the greatest benefits in being around like-minded people. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can uh, find collaborations. You can find friendships. It's just a, uh, it's definitely a great place to be. I'm looking forward to the summer months when I can spend some more time here. I'm here on the weekends too. Growing up in Sunset Park, what I do remember clearly is coming down to this area of Sunset Park in the Third Avenue area. You normally just come here to go to Costco, which is just two blocks away from right. where we are right now. And Costco is one of the first things right. that came to this area. Exactly. So so you come to Costco, and that's all you knew about Third Avenue, Second, or First, and nobody else knew. Right. And and during my time when I was growing up, um, I was born in 81, so during my teenage years in the early 90s, mid-90s, you used to come to 3rd Avenue, early 90s, and all you will find is guns, swords, bandanas, there was gangs, there was violence, um, there was so much going on here that you definitely did not want to go beyond 3rd Avenue. So when now you have Industry City here, and in the last five years, you have this, like you said, a, like a hub of industries here, uh, incubators, our training program, Innovation Lab. Um, when you come around here at 8 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, and you see 36th Street, the train station, all you see is about blocks of like maybe 50, 60 people walking towards 3rd Avenue mm -hmm. because they work here. Instead of running away from Exactly, them. exactly. So now it's like, you know, I work here. Now this is my community. I'm thankful, the way I look at it, that Industry City has put an emphasis in this neighborhood because, it, it's, like you said earlier, it's getting more attention than ever. More people here, and I think you see more people who are excited about all of the opportunity that's happening here. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are tenants that have been here a long time. I mean, there are tenants who've been here since 
some of those people that are family histories here and have been here since the 80s or longer that are like, it's different because I was here during the 80s and the 90s when maybe it wasn't as safe to be here. Mm -hmm. And now I look around and it's like, oh my God, this is the place that I want to be. I want to stay here after work, hang out, and I want my staff to come here. And I have an easier time attracting talent because people are like aware of what this is. It's been very positive. And then, you know, I think in the general community of Sunset Park, there's feelings of opportunity and excitement around what the jobs are that are coming, you know, and what those opportunities can present. And we work a lot with youth in the community. And I think overwhelmingly, we've done a ton of internships and we do a lot of our workforce developments also focused around youth with some of the nonprofits we work with. And they see what this is, you know, and they see it as like, I never knew that something like this could be in my backyard, right? Mm -hmm. And there's opportunity for me to see the careers of the future that I want to have. Growing up, you know, in my family, I think my parents had fairly traditional office jobs. And I was, and that was great, you know, because I think I saw my parents going to work every day and I felt like, okay, that's what I'm going to do, right? But I never really had someone who was like, I'm gonna go and create disruptive technologies or I'm someone who's gonna go and manufacture, you know, on a large scale lamps and furniture. I'm gonna make things by hand. Those are real careers that I think a lot of the people in this community and I think a lot of the youth in this community can take advantage of and have the exposure to in a way that I think is really unique. And we've seen a lot of positivity around that and a lot of excitement around here are some of the things that I can do that are in my backyard, right? And that if I go to university within, you know, the city or if I graduate high school, I can connect to a job immediately. Like it's just something that's a little more tangible Mm -hmm. and you can feel that excitement because especially with young people because they are, um, you know, aware of the future economies constantly change Mm -hmm. and you need to be active about that and proactive. And I think with a lot of the families that we see because we do in December, we had, um, December to February, we had the Brooklyn Children's Museum doing a pop-up in our gallery here around like the block lab, which is really about building and urban planning and big blocks for kids to kind of move around and think about the city a little bit differently. And it was incredibly popular. We were getting emails and phone calls from families in the community saying, this is great programming. We wish we had this all the time. Like, you know, extend them to stay longer. And we did, um, last summer we had Salsa Sundays in our courtyard and the local community really came out and really danced and had fun. And I think those are the kinds of things for us that we see as people kind of engaging and showing excitement with the Innovation Lab, the fact that we had some coverage on Univision on the Latin television station. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was around drones and some young people from the community who are working with one of our drone manufacturers. After that aired, I think we had three or 400 emails come in over the course of like four or five days. So, you know, I think to me, it just shows that people are excited and they want the opportunity to be able to see what's happening and learn what's happening and be part of it. That to me is just the actual demonstration of facts that say people are, you know, this is something that people want. This is something that people want to see and be part of. So that's kind of a lot of what we've seen happening over the past couple of years is just the increasing awareness and then people really being excited about the opportunity to be involved, the opportunity to have employment here, the opportunity to learn about how to grow their business here. Like all of those things have been pretty much at the forefront. And I've done it for several years and I, I have an IT background. I was a network senior analyst for a Fortune 500 company. For me, is the success stories to be in the classroom to engage. Because mm-hmm. I myself, as a teenager, uh, was someone had barriers. Yeah. 
I was, mm-hmm. a, I, was a, I had barriers, and I dropped out of school in high school, and so I understand the challenges a lot of our young. So for me, aside from being my day to day work, it's a personal mission to mm-hmm. encourage these kids to succeed. Right. And there's not only me; there's a staff over 50 people at OBT that do the same thing and Mm -hmm. and we're focusing on making these young adults succeed and I think the future holds very bright for OBT we just got our new interim CEO Dr. Paula McKenna who who I love for you to interview as well She, she can tell you more about the bigger picture and the vision and what plans are bigger in terms of where OBT is going in the next five years. I know that we continue to work on enrollment. We continue to work on just striving, getting more people into our, some of these new programs like the tech program that we have here. See here what happens when like-minded, ambitious people get together and re-energize a hub such as the former Bush Terminal. We can also see all of the good that's happening currently at Industry City with organizations like Opportunities for a Better Tomorrow and makers like Daryl Hawes. But what's coming at Industry City that we can't quite see yet? I think over the next couple of years, you're going to see that Industry City is going to increasingly become more populated, have more businesses coming here, have a diversity of businesses, and really be one of the hubs of economic activity and employment for Brooklyn, for Sunset Park, for, the, for Brooklyn, for South Brooklyn, for the city. If that's not already on people's minds, which I imagine it is, you know, I think you'll see over the next couple of years just that growth. Our intention is to get to having 20,000 people working here over the next eight years or so. Mm-hmm. So for us, that's a dream realized, right? So we're really working towards that and leasing and bringing in businesses that really care about these kinds of things. And I think the thing that you'll see over the next couple of years is just further evidence of the things that we've been talking about for the past couple of years, right? right. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about um, our innovation lab, and then we got to realize it being open and partnering with some of the great nonprofits in the city university that's in there. And I think over the next couple of years, our goal is really to have that expand and be incredibly successful, bring in more university partners, see more opportunity for people to engage in what's happening here, whether that's through programming or different opportunities to come and experience our manufacturers and retailers. Like I think those are the kinds of things that we're looking for over the next two to five years or so. Mm-hmm. And I think it's exciting. It is and, exciting. You know, we're always open to have conversations with people that are interested in, you know, understanding how they can be part of it. What does this kind of economic development mean? And what does it look like behind the doors of our businesses? You know, we have in May Open Studios, which is a great event. We have over 400 businesses here and over half of them open their doors during Open Studios which is May 20th to 21st this year. And it's awesome. It's, it's organized by some of our tenants who are amazing. And you know, you come in and you walk around and you can see what's going on behind each door. You can see the artists that are here. You can see the manufacturers, that are the, the jewelry makers, the fashion designers, the drone manufacturers, like all these things that you get to experience. And I think when people see that and understand what's happening, it just makes them more excited to be able to be part of it and come down and check it out and to have it in Brooklyn. Over the next couple of years, I think there's no, I don't think there's any surprises, really. I think, I mean, at least not for me, because I believe that we would get to where we're intending to go mm-hmm. since the beginning. But maybe some people would be surprised that um, it's all coming to fruition over the next couple of years. I'm proof of what Crystal is talking about, because the positive energy surrounding Industry City is the reason why this podcast is airing today. I'm a native Brooklynite, and I saw this section of Brooklyn for years when it was run down and in need of a lot of TLC, and now I'm seeing it born again. I got to tell you, when I came to Industry City to speak with Crystal, Miguel, and Daryl, 
I got off the train at the 36th Street BMT stop. As I walked west from 4th Avenue and approached Industry City, it was a sunny day, so that helped, but I literally remarked out loud, wow, this place is so alive. To see people on the street, cars above on the Gowanus Expressway, it was beautiful. It's hard to express how wonderful it is to see an area that once felt so unnecessarily gray, now vibrant and teeming with life again. What's also interesting is that with all the growth occurring at Industry City, as Crystal mentioned, we've only begun to scratch the surface. 6,000 people are currently employed here with the goal of getting to 20,000 in the next eight years. That number isn't unprecedented considering that at its peak, when Industry City was the Bush Terminal, it employed 20,000 hardworking Brooklynites. I love that with all of the good here, a lot of New Yorkers don't yet realize that Industry City exists. I asked Daryl if there was anything the people that he shares his closest connection with, i.e. his own friends and family, don't know that he's now able to do because of Industry City. I'd say um, a month ago, I didn't know how to make a pair of eyeglasses, and now I can make a complete pair of glasses. Mm -hmm. um, I think we may be the only company in the United States that actually manufactures their own glasses. Fantastic. So that would make me one of the only people in the United States that knows how to manufacture right. eyeglasses, which is pretty cool. I that guess. is awesome, man. It's straight out of Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there anything that you want to plug today? Moto M Factory, mm -hmm. Moto Eyewear, and Industry City and the Innovation Lab. Uh, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity uh, to work here in this industry. I think this is going to be a very um, instrumental part of my career. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you very much. I thank you. I would love to plug our web coding program. If, you, if any young adults between the ages of 17 to 24 are interested in a free web development program, we have one here at Industry City at the Innovation Lab. You're more than welcome to pass by here Monday to Friday, 9 to 4, or call us at the Innovation Lab and you know sign up to our program, go through some of the eligibility questions that we have, some of the assessments that we do. I would encourage you, if you're thinking about a career in web development, this will be a good start as you move forward into something bigger. And it's free. And it's free. Completely Fantastic. free. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Still don't know where Industry City is and want to come? Here's Crystal one final time. Span from 36th Street to 32nd Street on 3rd and 2nd Avenues. Mm -hmm. But then we also have waterfront buildings that are on 39th Street and 2nd Avenue to the waterfront. Sure. So you know, the majority of our programs and activity is in what we call our finger buildings, which are 36th to 32nd Street on 3rd and 2nd. So we have beautiful courtyards in there, and our buildings are all connected through Innovation Alley, which is something we built out. So I think people are welcome to come and walk through and see who's here. We have some awesome manufacturers that have retail storefronts on the first floor, so they can come and experience and taste and walk away with some stuff made at Industry City. Thank you to Daryl, Crystal, and Miguel for giving me your time. And a special thank you to Lisa Serbanowick for giving me access to these great people and to the facilities at Industry City. For more concrete information on Industry City, please go to IndustryCity.com. If you'd like access to Industry City, the hub is open Monday through Friday. There are offices, retail spaces, and places to eat. It's well worth the visit. As Crystal mentioned, be on the lookout in the coming weeks for new things happening at Industry City on the weekend as well. And actually, they just had a March Madness sample sale the last weekend in March, so slowly but surely the hub is moving towards being open seven days per week. The main address for Industry City is 220 36th Street, and the Innovation Lab's address is 87 35th Street. The closest subway stop which services the area is the BMT 36th Street stop, and you can get the R, the N, and the D train to take you there. As Daryl mentioned, 
Check out Modo at MODO.com. And as Miguel mentioned, check out Opportunities for a Better Tomorrow at OBTJobs.org. If you know any late teens or young adults that could benefit from OBT's hard work and dedication to the community, please do not hesitate to look them up. This was a wonderful experience. I'm so excited to see the continued growth at Industry City. And as I mentioned on the open, if this is the first time you're listening to Breaking Walls and would like to subscribe, please do so at iTunes by searching for Breaking Walls or by following us on SoundCloud at The Wall Breakers. Basically, if you got this podcast through SoundCloud and want it on iTunes, that's how you do it, and vice versa. We're on all social media outlets at The Wall Breakers, and we're on the web at thewallbreakers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you rate and reviewed us on iTunes. That's Breaking Walls, like I mentioned. I'd appreciate it because it helps the iTunes algorithm and helps more people discover this podcast. To check out our City Unity t-shirt line, please go to James the wallbreaker.com slash shop. This month's overarching topic on the wall breakers is growth. That comes from the beginning of spring, and it's obvious to me that springtime is here at Industry City. And I hope as we roll into April and springtime really does come, I hope that it's springtime for you as well. I talk about the overarching monthly theme and this month's theme being growth. We get there, like I mentioned on the open, because we learn from New beginnings in January by being willing to be vulnerable in February, serendipity occurring in March, and new growth happening in April. So as the weather turns warmer, as we can start shedding off those layers and putting on those lighter, those, you know, those jean jackets for all of us New Yorkers out there, those hoodies without anything else on, I hope that you keep getting out there, guys, and keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 54, and until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.